Hello. We Hi. Here. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Raising Luminaries podcast, season two, episode three. This is Asia Ray, and we are here with our new partner in cahoots towards do goodery and smashing the karaoke, um, Sana Tina Sanchez of Crafting Sound Meaning. Um, so, what we're going to do is if for anyone who listened to episode one of this season a couple of weeks ago, we discussed, um, you know, that scale of the work that we're doing as self-advocates and activists. And we talked about a scale of, you know, the things that we're doing that are toxic and untenable, both for ourselves and society, and how we're going to nudge it towards being more sustainable and regenerative uh, with interdependent collaborations. So with that, we're going to talk about how me and Sonatina are going to be partnering up as conspirators, and Sonatina is going to take over the most toxic part of raising luminaries, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, so quick intro. Sonatina Sanchez uses she/her pronouns. Um, she's the autistic queer Latinx founder of Crafting Sound Meaning. Um, so, as an autistic person raised by autistic parents. She pulls from her experience navigating a world designed for holistics, and for anyone new to this, that's non-autistic people, to help her community build deep and lasting relationships to resist and also thrive in our modern capitalist hellscape. <laughs> um, so you can visit her website at craftingsoundmeaning.com to learn more and connect with her, but we're going to talk about her. So would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Yes, excuse me. Hello. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Sonatina Sanchez, and I'm just so excited to be here and working with Asia on this, uh, yeah, smashing the uh, patriarchal capitalist hellscape that we are currently existing in. It's like a dream of mine, so I'm really excited to have a cohort in that uh, effort. Um, yeah, I'm based out of uh, Seattle, Washington. If uh, that is of interest of yours, um, I have a lot of um, experience doing lots of volunteer uh, activities in the Seattle area. So I have, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very active in my local community and I just really enjoy talking about communication stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So today we're going to cover, um, and this might take more than one episode because both of us are autistic, so both of us are going to get into info dumpy tangents and are very interested in our specific spheres of special interest. So this might take more than one episode, but in this episode, maybe more, we're going to cover um, what are some communication challenges between autistic and holistic folks, why we need to understand it to raise kind and courageous leaders. Um, why cross-cultural communication, um, cross-abled communication is so challenging, and then what we can do to tackle these challenges. Um, so we discussed, you know, how are we going to make this tangible? How are we going to talk? What's a, what's a case study that we can use to discuss what an example? Um, <clears throat> and the best thing I could come up with is a recent challenge that I'm having with uh, my own kid. And this is, I guess this is my way of getting free coaching. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love giving advice. So this is always fun for me. Yeah. Um, so for me as an autistic parent with uh, an autistic child, um, putting him back in school after the pandemic and it, we have to advocate for um, an IEP, individualized education plan. So that way um, the, the state and the schools are mandated he, to, to make the school accessible for him so he can actually learn. They're supposed to make it possible for him to learn. Um, 
but also it's hard for me as a person who was raised Asian, feminine, and autistic to advocate for myself. Um, and some of that, some of that, that um, internalized bias against advocating for myself sometimes comes up in advocating for my kid. And I hear that from a lot of other parents with disabilities, in addition to holistic parents who just, they've never had to do advocacy before. Um, so when I go into these special education meetings, we have, you know, we have the, the doctor's advice on what's possible for his IEP. We have our advice of what we would like. We have, you know, this, this futurist ideal of what it looks like to have a fully integrated anti-ableism classroom. Um, but we also have educational boundaries. Uh, our, our teachers are exhausted. There's only so much funding. So trying to hold space for all of these conflicting things, in addition to the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, I need to advocate through an holistic lens so they can understand me and believe me. And they are not primed in any way, the, the educators, even though they're lovely people, the teachers, the special education teachers, the aides, the social workers are completely unprimed for how autistic people communicate. Um, and my own kid has laughed about this. He's like, why do they talk to me like this? And I'm like, well, honey, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. This is literally their job to mm -hmm. help kids, but they've never gotten any training from any autistic people. They just read about mm -hmm. it in books written by other holistic people. He just laughed and laughed and then screamed a little. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, that is a, that is, I mean, um, for how old your kid is, that is a perfect response. I feel like they're already ready for the world. <laughs> yeah. He's, he loves, he loves catching ridiculous examples of bigotry and ableism in the real world while it's also very frustrating. So um, with this little story, I just want to give a quick content warning. Um, <clears throat> if you're not comfortable with these topics, skip ahead maybe 10 minutes. Um, so anti-autistic, ableism, self-harm, and um, autistic suicide, because this is a part of this story. So I'm sitting here in this IEP meeting and I have my holistic partner here to translate for me, but he can only do so much because he doesn't have the knowledge that I have. So I say my words, he tries to sum up what I just said, and then it feels like I'm slamming my head against a Zoom screen, right? <laughs> like, um, so one of the things I'm trying to explain to them is he needs to be in a smaller classroom with, with other, like, it, I don't care what abilities they have, he needs to be in a smaller classroom where the adults there can actually watch what's going on in the patterns between him and just a couple of kids. Um, and mostly because their crowds, the, the horrifying fluorescent lights they have in that building and all the visual clutter that the teachers pick up at the learning store because they think it, that it's cute and it's actually like really just, it's like laying out a bed of nails on a driveway. Um, so I'm trying to explain to them, like my kid it doesn't have meltdowns at home. He does have them in school I suspect this might help, right? Um, so I'm trying to communicate that, this to them. And I'm like, and I know your job is to get kids to conform. However, um, this is going to have long-term ramifications for him that are going to be very painful. In addition to that, um, this would be a, a pretty simple, most of these would be a pretty simple fix, you know? Um, use lamps, right? <laughs> or like, um, take some of the shit down off of the walls. Like you don't need those little colorful borders on the, every single fucking bulletin board. So, and the other thing that I try to advocate for is um, they use, our school is pro ABA. They use, which is um, applied behavior 
analysis. It's basically like the same roots of gay conversion therapy and um, animal training. So basically what it does is it trains us, if you're unfamiliar with it, to hide our pain, hide our discomfort, and force us to comply in order to have <clears throat> what other, what non-disabled people would consider basic human rights. <clears throat> Excuse me. So trying to explain to them, using rewards to get my kid to complete his learning, um, his homework assignments, whatever, it doesn't teach him to love learning. It teaches him that learning is something that you endure as opposed to just adjusting it to fit his, his abilities, right? Um, and it also teaches us, autistic people, that we have to earn the right to rest and earn the right to self-care. So they give him, um, he has legally mandated breaks to regulate himself. And instead of identifying ways to help him regulate himself, they give him Minecraft videos, which are actively dysregulating, but they're easy to give him. It doesn't require a person to talk him through breathing exercises. And then the thing is like, he has to earn those. So they have him working on something that's very hard, dysregulating, so he can earn the right to regulate. So I'm trying to communicate this to them. And I'm pointing out in as gentle terms as I can and saying, I know you only have so many people in the classroom. I know you only have so many resources. I know you have other kids you have to work with, but I need you to understand this. Feels like bashing my head against the wall, right? To the point where now I'm just outright, I'm like, this is torture. This is child abuse, right? This is not okay, what you guys are doing. And then I had to point out, you know, there's a reason why I feel like I don't have the right to sit down until every holistic person within a hundred feet of me is completely comfortable. There's a reason why I feel like I have to earn the right to sleep. And it's because I was raised with these, these methods to get me to hide my stimming, hide my mm -hmm. um, need to move, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I even brought up stats because, you know, white people love stats, right? Like, I'm like, you know, the average, the average um, life existence or lifespan or life expectancy of a speaking academically okay autistic is about 36 years old, which I have overshot already um, because- Yes, thank you. Most, <laughs> um, and, and this isn't by accident, this is suicide from hiding and conforming and trying to fit and then just burning out and not being able to take it anymore. So I mm -hmm. tried, if you keep doing this, he will kill himself. Mm -hmm. and I, I could be any clearer about this. I've tried it the nice way. I've tried it the direct way. And every single time I get nodding, I get the compassion face with like the little, like the little sad downturned mouth and the eyebrows that are close together. And they go, okay, well, we're going to do what we want anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, clearly there's a communication here or yeah. you just don't believe that we are people who have the right to human decency. Right. Mm -hmm. it could, but I can only control my communication. I can't control their ability to see us as humans who have the same rights as holistic people, <sighs> which is a long way of saying that's the story that we're going to tackle as an example. Um, <clears throat> so before we get into Sonatina's approach on how she would help a parent going through this, we're going to talk about why we need to understand communication differences, um, why ableism and communication is a problem, and then um, our plan moving forward, some tips for, for both holistic and autistic parents. Um, okay, do you have anything to add to that real quick? <laughs> I mean, in terms of the story-wise, like I just, the whole, I people can't see obviously, but like I'm nodding the whole time and I'm like, yes, I, because the experience is so relatable having gone through my 
childhood. Basically, I wasn't recognized until I was 36 or seven. And I didn't even suspect autism until I was about 34. And even after that, I when I talked to somebody, I was like, I think this is actually what I might have not anxiety or depression. And they were like, No, you're too social, you can't be. So it's like one of those things, it's like the experience of being of telling people, it's like, this is my experience. This is the reality that I experienced. Like, no, that's, that can't be, that's not possible. It's just, and how hurt, like how hurtful it is and how much that made me consider just not wanting to be around anymore. And that's, that's the most relatable part of it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into your, into your IEP stuff. Cause oh, that word itself is just. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like that constant, invalidation of when we are, when we have the ability to regulate, when we are taking care of ourselves, when we have the accommodations that we need, which are usually much smaller than holistic people think. Um, we, they're like, but you don't look autistic. And you're like, (laughs) I'm doing a ton of work. Like that's a great hashtag, right? That someone, some smart person made that a hashtag. There's pictures of us all over the internet, but you don't look autistic. It's like, yeah, because I have what I need and I'm not in a meltdown. And then I literally had some friend tell me that when I told him I was autistic. I mean, I, sh- I acquaintance at this point now, because if you said that to me, I don't really think you were as a friend that much anymore. But anyway, that's another topic. Yeah. And it's and I, I, I liken it to like, I, so many people tell me that. And then I'm like, and it's the same thing. It feels the same thing as, but you don't look Asian. And it's like, okay, so you have a, and it's always white people, right? Like this white idea of what Asian look like, like a stereotype, like the, what is it? Jerry Lewis stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and then you have this holistic idea of what what does autism look like based on autistic people playing holistic uh, people playing us in movies right yeah so let's talk about why we need to understand communication differences um we are here to raise kind and courageous kids to be leaders in the in the revolution right and what, what does it mean to raise kind kids? Not nice kids. We want kids who rock the fucking boat, right? We want kids who are willing to do scary things because they know it's the right thing to do and it lifts up the rest of humanity. We need kids who are patient with others, even when they're just giving us that, that fucking compassion face. <laughs> and like just when they're saying shit that just sounds completely awful, we need, we need to teach our kids to like hold back a minute, wait, trying to understand what they're trying to say. And then through a lens of anti-supremacy, like we have to understand there's no one right way to communicate. Um, the, but the best thing that we can do, instead of, instead of trying to force our kids to conform to the other ways that people communicate, is just understand the way that other people communicate and then hopefully get the skills that they need to self-advocate. Um, when we talk about raising courageous kids, because courage is a part of kindness, we need to have raise ourselves to have the humility and the vulnerability to be like, I don't understand. (laughs) And like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my perspective and the one way I do this and the way I was raised, understandably, is just like, it's it's missing some key elements of humanity, right? Yeah, it's, that's not the whole story of what we it is to be human. Right? Okay. And then let's talk about leaders. There's so many different, so many people think of one way to be a leader, like a Putin style, way to be a leader like just smash over everyone stand on tall things ride horses I don't know Um, but our definition of leader involves I think like eight different types of leading right and a lot of them involve inclusion with people you disagree with inclusion with people um, not not 
taking shit from them, but finding ways to make sure that people are heard and included um, and understanding that their communication styles are different, as well as accepting that our own forms of communication are valid. Um, speaking as an Asian person who uses high context communication and indirect language, um, it takes a lot not to beat myself up for not getting what I want because I'm communicating in, in a way that I was raised. And it's just, it's not, it's not sinking in for the people who are raised differently and not, not to understand that. Okay, so Sanatina, let's talk about why is ableism in communication a problem? Oh, I mean, uh, let's, we are gonna have this as a ongoing series now, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, um, right, let's, let, let's talk about holistic centering and Western centering and communication, if you wanna. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And no, and actually the way you, you um, ended your, you know, little intro to that was perfect because that made me think of, you know, you talk about, about your, you know, Chinese heritage and I have a similar, some experience coming from a very, you know, Mexican, culture and having very direct uh, communication, but not in the way that um, we are used to thinking of direct communication in the West or in, in our current American culture. So um, what I was, um, I've had a lot of experiences in terms of having unsaid expectations around how you're supposed to communicate, especially in a work environment, because we do have a particular culture. And I always say, I am speaking very, very much about being raised in America, in the United States of America. And so my whole experience is related to working and living in this community. I've uh, visited other countries, but I only know what it is like to live here. And in, our, in the community and cultures that I was raised in, you're supposed to make everybody else as comfortable as possible unless you have the power to impose your will on others. And that was always very confusing to me. <laughs> so that's the, that's the model that I, I was raised in, in terms of how I came into the uh, work world. But my, my experience being raised in a uh, family with a Mexican father and a white mom, American, I call, I say American mud, right? That's my definition for my white Americanness. Um, but it's predominantly, you know, what I found out later is she was very much from a Welsh culture, like, it's, it came through our family and uh, even if it wasn't known. And so I have these two very direct cultures in my family and I come into the world and I'm used to basically just asking and getting an answer and not worrying if I'm gonna offend somebody because uh, I didn't phrase the thing correctly because it was expected in my family that we ask each other what we mean by something when we say something. That's just, that was an expectation. And as you said earlier, right, I didn't know this even at the time, but both of my parents were also autistic. Are, well, my mom is still, my dad is no longer around, but like the experience that we all had in our home growing up was just one of, of not confusion, of uh, consideration, of curiosity, that's the word it was a, an environment of curiosity where it is not 
bad to think differently. It is interesting to figure out how we as a family think differently. It was just a whole other thing. So I come into the world and I have a very self, uh, uh, a very firm sense of self. And it's being bar- barraged constantly about from people telling me that I should be different. And I'm thinking, no, I'm pretty sure that I'm good. I'm going to figure out what everybody else's problem is. <laughs> and it did take me a while, <laughs> but the, what I came to the conclusion is, and now this is why we're working together is because this time in my life, I have finally realized once I had the recognition of autism, once I've been able to communicate in my autistic community, and once I've been able to be a leader in the community where people do communicate like me, I have started to thrive in a way that I never knew before. So the, the experience that I've had in the world has shown me that when we do make an effort for others and are and bring a curious attitude around somebody else's point of view and not a uh, accusatory or you know something some kind of uh, violent or negative kind of sheen over uh, everything and and it's it's challenging this is and I always come back to the cultural messages that we get have a very big impact on how we think. And so if we are committed to this process, it takes a lot of effort to be able to separate what I think, what I want to think, and how I can uh, express those things clearly enough to myself so that I can clearly explain, explain my true self to others. And so, yeah, as you see, it, it's a very, it's, it's a complicated process. And as um, uh, it hurts everybody to have to constantly wonder, am I actually being understood? And this isn't just for autistic people. And I feel like I've actually had a lot more success working with autistic people, um, holistic people, because they didn't realize how limiting their worldview was because they just accept it. It's easier for some neurotypes to just accept what is presented. And it seems to be for autistic and neurodivergent, a lot of neurodivergent neurotypes, it's harder for us to just accept things. We're just constantly asking questions. And so that's, I feel the fundamental source of miscommunication amongst most neurotypes is just how comfortable are you with just being like, okay, that's how it is. (laughs) (laughs) awesome yeah and I think it's it's interesting like just like any concept behind um inequity and bigotry like who does it hurt and I think a lot of people assume it only hurts the target the the person who is underrepresented and has less power but it actually really does hurt the people who are raised to believe this is the primary dominant way and therefore it is the best way and then I hear this from so many parents where they're like you know I had like 20 or 30 and I went out to the real world and it felt like I was kneecapped. Right. I felt Mm -hmm. parents for not equipping me for the fact that like, that we have so much privilege. I felt, I felt embarrassed about the things that I had said to people when I was younger. 
And so like, if we think about how are we equipping our kids, we can't, we can't protect them from everything, but how are we equipping our kids with the ideas that they need when they're young to say, like, have a little humility. This is not the only way when you leave this, we're, we're creating the best home we can for you now, but when you're leaving, be prepared um, for the idea that even though everyone in your world speaks the way you do and communicates the way you do, um, you're going to get some shell shock. You're going to have some embarrassment and you're going to feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath you. So it does hurt everyone when we can't communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, and I always come back to that. i really do because I don't want to, I don't want to have the idea that this is a charity, right? The idea of charity itself is very offensive to me. And Again, this is going to be a series now because I want to go into whole like, you know, why uh, our culture is sort of like this. And I want to go all the way back to the um, Norman conquest of England. That's how deep it goes. I'm saying like, this is how much I've done the research on like where our culture came from and how our attitudes developed around these things. Because it is, this is, this is my, I joke, special interest, right? As autistic people, we just become very focused on an idea and it becomes an obsession. And I think that that's such a valuable way of seeing the world, right? And, and of experiencing how deep you can go into something like, and yeah. So anyway, um, let's, let us, I don't want to go on that tangent because you're right. We could even phone up easy. I mean, we could have an entire episode. I think would be lovely to talk about the, the process of decolonizing our language and our communication. Um, because I know that mm-hmm. a lot of also like very centered on decolonizing. And right now we're talking about, right now we're talking about through our identities as autistics, but you also have other identities in, in the process of colonizing our language and our communication is yeah like it has those roots in like the early stages of capitalism and land ownership in Europe which yep. feels far away but it's actually you know where do we not that- this nonsense okay yeah yeah what is it the, oh, there's a joke oh what is it the most recent one I heard uh Biden was born closer to Lincoln's inauguration than his own yeah like time is fucked and weird yo that's so weird okay um okay so here's like a couple of things that I keep reiterating maybe you can add on to this about what do we do about these conflicts in cross-cultural communication and this is one of the reasons why I'm excited to partner with you because I'm tired of beating my head against the wall on this publishing article after article carrying people individually and being like okay what do we do if we if we're misunderstanding each other one listen to actually disabled people, right? Listen to what they say and then believe them. Don't be like, oh, I know what's better for you because I'm the smart one here because I was born with power. Listen, read, you know, whatever, believe. Um, And for a lot of people, we have a lot of um, holistic parents with autistic kids and they want to, um, they want to get the adult autistic perspective. They want to to dig deeper into that humility, into that brave space of being like, what am I wrong about? Or what, what do I need to expand my understanding of? Um, And then, but one of the things that, you know, we get like level one, like I've read white fragility and you're like, okay, okay, great. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, I would say white fragility first and then uh, white tears, brown scars next. And then, yeah. Yeah. And I just, and I was just like, okay, so I don't want to work with anyone who doesn't like, I'm fine. I spent enough time working with people who have read White Fragility and think that's great. And now I want to work with the people 
who are like, I read White Fragility and I feel a little bit bad about it. Um, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not I'm not super comfortable about learning about racism by profiting a white woman uh, <laughs> talking about it through her lens. So the other thing that we need is I get a lot of people who want to pick my brain. God, I've tried so freaking hard to erase my email address off of the goddamn internet and they keep finding me. And I have like on my website, it's like contact link. It just says like, don't <laughs> leave me alone. I, if I spend my precious little time on earth educating people, it needs to be educating more than one person at a time. I just don't mm-hmm. have this. I've written these articles, use the search bar in my website. Um, so people are saying like, how can I make autistic friends so that way they can mentor my kid? And I'm like, okay, pay them. Like you have to pay people. You have to get education from a sense of power and they're like okay well even if you're just friends with an autistic person they might not have the power to check you when you're doing something terrible right like I have white friends who do problematic things and I don't I know that mm-hmm. I mean the face I'm like that was a little racist what you just did so um, one of the main things that I really want to and this is where Sonatina comes in really well is if you're going to get support instead of treating autistic people like your token friends and using them and using your relationship to educate your own kids or educate yourself as a parent, um, that's, it's so, ex- it exploits people who have social disabilities who are so desperate for friendship. Like, I don't know any autistic people who didn't grow up feeling a little lonely and feeling a little bit desperate for deep relationships. So if you are going to do that next step, which I highly encourage of listening to other autistic people and actually being in community with them, not just reading the books and thinking you know stuff, is actually hiring autistic people to talk through these these communication problems with you. Um, If you wanna understand why your kid's having a hard time processing what you're saying, talk to an autistic adult, right? Um, So really get support and pay for that support and that's, will learn what Sonatina does. Um, and this also applies for, you know, if you are a white parent with kids of color, whether it's a transracial or multiracial family, this also applies, right? Or transnational. Okay, so the plan moving forward, like I said, uh, I, I identify the most toxic, exhausting thing that wears me out about running, running Raising Luminaries and it's individuals who sneak into my inbox and ask me to personally educate them. And so I started charging a ridiculous amount of money for this. I'm like, because it was really hard to be like, no. Then I tried being like, okay, yes, but you're gonna have to pay me $300 an hour. Like I want, if you're gonna do this, you have to make it worth the fact that I'm taking that hour away from making public resources for everybody. Um, And people do that, people will pay for that, but it just, it's exhausting to me because I know there's no accountability. There's no way to make sure that they're actually following through with what I'm saying. are fully parsing what I'm saying. And even though it's, it's actually fun to talk with people, talk with their kids. Um, I, I feel like I'm running out of time, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm the same thing over and over again. So Sonatina is going to take over my most exhausting job is when people want one-on-one individual consultations or advice, right? Yeah. Um, Cause that's like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And, and the other part is because all of the elementary stuff, I feel like I've covered, I've covered all the basics, right? And it's, it's frustrating to me. I understand reading isn't for everybody, but if I've covered all the basics in an article and they're coming to me and asking me the same questions, I feel like screaming. So mm-hmm. 
Sonatina loves working with people who are new to this, who are afraid um, when they're, they're like, I don't, I don't, I want to stay nice, but I want to smash the Kiriarchy. She's the one who breaks them open, levels them up a little bit, and then ships them back to me, right? <laughs> gives, I give you a little bit of a, like, um, a little bit of a booster armor, kind of, you know, like a little bit of a, yeah, the level up aspect of, yeah, you have, a, you have a little bit more of a strength in terms of being able to understand the, the bigger picture. And so you feel less fear. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of you arming them with confidence and strength. So that way I don't have to tap dance around saying like, yeah, what you said was harmful. Right. Because like, I don't have the time. I don't. Exactly. I don't. None of us have the time anymore. We don't, none of us have the time anymore. That's the point that I'm trying to make, right? It's like, and, and okay. And so real quick, like you're, you're introducing this, like and the way that, and I like, um, I like doing this work because I, I understand, right? How challenging it is to understand somebody else's point of view and something about my brain in my life made me interested in helping other people through that transition. It is just an interesting and fun and joyful experience for me to see somebody come to me and say, I want to be different. I want to think this way, but I don't know how. And I'm like, oh, yes, I know how to help that. And I, I don't know if I if this is in your notes or anything, but I, I this is very relevant. Um, my I came into this work starting as a language teacher and I, and part of that goal for me, I went to get my um, teaching English as a foreign language certificate to teach sound specifically. Right. Um, I went with a, with this business in mind, with crafting sound meaning, I didn't have the name. I didn't have everything all set, but I knew for sure I was going to be teaching language by helping other people figure out how to create this, the, the physical movements that create the sounds of other languages. Because I knew if somebody else can make their mouth or their, their body do that movement, and it is possible in humans, then I can do it. I just don't know how physically. So I did that work to figure that out and teach people. And the more I, more I taught language and that teaching the intricate how we form our physical body, our mouths, our, you know, tongues, all that stuff to create sound is very relevant to how we create the meaning behind those sounds, right? And so as I was transitioning from language into general teaching, it was very clear to me that my students, my language students were coming to me for not necessarily language advice, but for cultural advice. They were asking me, I understand the words. I don't understand the meaning. And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense because the meaning isn't just in the words. It's in the way that people use the words. It's in the context. It's in the history of how somebody is, you know, coming to it, their perspective, as you mentioned earlier, we're looking at the different perspectives and why everybody's perspective is valid. And that includes this student, like, and at the time it was my language students. Um, I'm specifically thinking of one of my students who was a, a doctorate, graduate doctoral student, I believe, um, in uh, England. And she was, came, she came from China 
and she was constantly confused about things that she was trying so hard. And I just think I'm like, I was so happy that I was able to help her through being able to advocate for herself in the way that she was able to uh, be understood, not because her accent changed. She, her accent did change a bit over the course of our work, but what really changed was her ability to hear the, the context of the people that she was talking to, her teachers and her, her fellow students. And she was able to give them some, you know, understanding of what they were saying, right? Because they, it was unconscious to them because it's been in their world the whole time. So once they realized it, it was like this, like, you know, moment of mutual understanding that both parties didn't really understand how deep the misunderstanding was. And it wasn't just at the word level, it's at the human level, almost the, the cultural, the social, the, the society, the societal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's one of the reasons that I feel like this is such a passion for me is because I'm like ha- having those experiences, being able to help people through the world and actually, you know, make their goals happen for themselves. It's just, it's just fun. It's ha- It's magical. Yeah. yeah. Very, it's a, it's a very helpful hyper-focus to have. <laughs> um, so I know we're coming up on the 45 minute mark. So really quick, I'm going to go over the plan moving forward. Uh, what each of us is going to take over in our partnership and then what we're not doing. Um, and then maybe after this podcast, we'll book maybe two more podcasts, one on an example of how you would help a coaching client, like how you would help someone like me talk to those IEP people um, or maybe how, how to get them to listen to me, right? That'd be lovely. I have a few notes before we go. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you with that because I, I know I have a few notes because yeah. I took notes. Yeah. Um, want to make sure that we have time. And then also another one on decolonizing our communication. So the plan moving forward, um, here's what each of us is going to do. That's, this is the plan on how we're going to divide and conquer the world to smash the curiarchy and raise awesome children. Um, so Zonatina is going to take over supporting both autistic and holistic adults in expanding their communication aperture, like widening their, that concept so very specifically on communication, mostly, mostly verbal, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not, not necessarily teaching parents how to talk to their kids, but helping parents advocate for their kids with other adults, helping parents connect with other adults. So that way they can, they can broaden their concept of how their kid thinks without saviorism, without tokenizing, right. Helping mm-hmm. holistic adults understand the autistic perspective. Um, if you want to break that down in a, in a, in a, a braver space, um, where Sonatina will get honest to be like, okay, that was a, that was problematic, right? <laughs> we'll go through it. We'll be, I'll be as gentle as you need. Yeah. And Sonatina will be more gentle and then I'll be like, no, <laughs> um, helping autistic adults communicate their needs in a way that holistics can understand. And then also she's going to work with more of the people who, who are nervous, who do have that fear, who have that one-on-one level of fragility, um, and do more one-on-one personal work. She has um, small group, she has classes, but she also has one-on-one coaching, which I'm no longer going to be offering. Um, so in terms of what I'm going to provide to people, once I have that off my plate, I'll have a lot more time and energy to, to dedicate to the stuff that is my hyper-focus, 
which is supporting parent activists, people who are juggling both parenting and active activism to change the world while bringing our kids up in it. Um, so mostly I focus on managing and preventing burnout um, in resourcing in transformative justice parenting practices in how to um, use our time and our energy most effectively. And it's going to be mostly about taking responsibility for ourselves and becoming the role models that our kids need, because you know best what your kids need for the most part. So those one, two, three guides and checklists of how to raise autistic kids the right way are deeply problematic. They won't work for everybody. They especially won't work for parents who are multiply marginalized and targeted. Um, so I do small group incubators where there are five or six people. We get together an accountability group. Um, and it's mostly for parent activists who have hit a plateau. Like they're in the parent group. They've read all of the books and they're like, okay, I know that this goes deeper and I could learn more. I'm eager for this. I'm comfortable with someone being like, that's not okay, right? Um, and they just want to kind of, like, I think of it like a video game, just not leveling up, but um, that next step where, like, you're just getting frustrated because you're in these toxic parenting activism spaces that are just replicating the same harm that they claim to undo. So how do we identify those spaces? How do we work through them? How do we work through a transformative lens? Um, and I do more small group, seasonally-based accountability incubators. Um, what neither one of us is willing to do, so please go someplace else, is parent coaching. We're not going to teach you how to parent your child. <laughs> um, not for me. Nope. I'm not even a parent, technically. You know, like, yeah, I have no children to claim of my own, so that's not a, something you want from me. Nope. The, and the parent coaching, I'm going to get a little salty. I don't understand it because either you are a parent parenting children in this current stage, so you know what's going on, you know the cultural influences, you know the current events, or you're a parent who's already done it, in which case all advice that you have about how you breastfed someone in 1985 is kind of irrelevant now. Um, so I don't understand the parent coaching thing. Um, so we're not gonna do that because we don't know how. And we're not gonna offer any one, two, three checklist. This is what everyone should do because everyone is uniquely different um, on how to raise our kids, whether autistic or holistic, otherwise neurodivergent. Um, and we are not going to anymore do any free emotional labor for holistic people. Um, Sonatine has made it very, very accessible. She has quick consult coaching so you can get to know her. They're inexpensive. They're um, very flexible timing wise and everything. So it's, it's a very easy ask to see if she's right for you to sign up for her classes. Um, I'm going to keep trying to hide my fucking email address. I don't know. I don't know how else to I, I mean, I, I wish you fortune. I still get stuff at a Yahoo address that I made when I was in middle school in like 1996. So I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to. People sneak in from my, I don't want to say this because I know people are going to do it, but people sneak in from my old photography site before I ran Raising Luminaries. I'm like, how, how do you, <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, but now what's, what makes it easier for me, because as you know, we were, at least as an autistic person raised by holistic people, I was raised to never say no. So it's very hard to be like, no, I will not educate your child. Even though I deeply want to, like, I want you to be okay. I, I care and I want you to be the best parent you can be, but I just don't have the spoons or the resources to do that. Um, so instead of saying no, I can be like, I have a friend who does that, go pay her, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's gonna be great. So what we're gonna do heading out from this, oh good, we're right on time for 45 minutes. Perfect. Is um, Sonatina's, if she actually has a great YouTube channel, um, linguistics, you can use, you can Google that, or you can, you can search for that in YouTube. I also made a, a bitly, a short link. So it's bit, bitly 
bit.ly slash CSM for Crafting Sound Meeting Perspective. So these are all going to be on the show notes and the show notes are temporarily, temporarily living on Books for Little slash podcasts. So her recent episode is about the word perspective and she touches a little bit on defensiveness and ableism. Um, but I do want to mention real quick that she only has two slots left for her current coaching clients. So um, she's only taking on two new members um, the season or year or whatever. Um, time is limited. So if you want to grab that, uh, grab a quick consult. They're inexpensive. Um, so that way you can hold your place. But she also has classes and stuff like that. But I would, I highly recommend you check out our website, craftingsoundmeaning.com and then slash coaching because that might be helpful, but definitely check out the YouTube channel. Okay, so before we close out, um, bonus resources and stuff are going to be on the podcast transcript on the, the website. So do you have anything else you want to add before we ship off? I did. I did. Um, well, first, I mean, now this is going to be, you said, we're going to come back to this, but I did want to briefly touch on the issue you're having, right, in terms of the IEP and the student uh, the teacher communication with parents, because this is one of the issues, right? That is majority miscommunication with the holistic community is the acceptance of what they deem uh, okay in terms of, you know, how the world should be. So one thing I heard you say was um, that you expressed to them, I know your job is to get them to conform. And I'm wondering, did you, do you actually tell them that specific phrase or something, that specific word? I know your job is to get them to conform. Like sit still and get jobs in a factory or something like, you know, like that. So to, to, yeah, yeah not take up too much space or something. Yeah. I <laughs> but you literally tell them, you, you know, that that is their goal. That's their job. I'm like, I get it. You need the tests. You need the tests to all show up with the right grades and stuff like that. And this has been a five-year process. So I started very gently. Like I know it's, things are hard. You're stressed on resources. And then the last IEP meeting before I just gave up and now it's only my partner who talks to them was like, I know you guys, you need them to conform. You need them to behave like holistic people. Right. Um, Cause I'm done. I'm so tired. I'm just done. <laughs> so and this, is, this is where I come back to it. So what I tend to do in those situations, right, is people really like to feel, and this is especially true for people who are used to the power, they like to feel that their needs or whims are being the one that dominate the moment. So I use that by asking lots of questions, basically. I'm, and this is, um, so when I, instead of saying like, you know, I know your job is to do this, right? What I'm like, I, and even if I've already asked them this before, it's the reclarification. I want to know in that very moment, as we are talking about this specific thing that we're dealing with, whatever it is, what do you feel your job is around this situation, right? I just, I want to know. I always try to go for the ultimate goal of whoever I'm talking to and keep bringing it back to that because the more and more I bring it back to their goal for the conversation, the more and more they have to actually acknowledge that they have a goal and they might not have realized that they are expressing one goal, but actually trying to get a different goal. So the more and more you bring up the explicit, tell me, you have to tell me, and I'm going to write it down. 
and we are going to keep, it's going to be laying here right in front of us and we are going to keep referencing it. This is the goal for this situation. How do we get here? And let's work on that. So that's the biggest, that's the first like step I usually take in these situations. And it's, it can be challenging because you can get resistance in that form of directness, uh, depending on the culture. But I find that people have a really hard time, uh, especially when they are used to accepting somebody listening to them. They have a really hard time resisting that level of, of um, turning the tables. Right, you know, it you're you're you are suddenly in charge of the conversation by becoming the interrogator, and people don't realize it because you're you're asking what they want. So aren't they in charge? And that's that's where I come about this um, miscommunication, recommunication training. Yeah, yeah, and I think we should go over that. I just don't want to overload people with too much. Totally, yeah. totally, and that's why I'm like, I just wanted to make see if that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So we're going to close this out. Check um, littles.com slash podcasts for now because the Raising Luminaries website is down currently. Um, <laughs> and definitely check out um, Linguistics You Can Use on YouTube. Um, and check out her, check out Sonatina's YouTube channel and then also her website and um, see what awesome things she has available. Okay. So I'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much. <laughs>